the flush. So fast, it hardly seems real. So vivid, the moment freezes in time before erupting in a blur of spurs and feathers. It's why we changed the way upland loads are built with Prairie Storm. Exclusive flight control flex wad technology and a mix of copper plated lead and flight stopper pellets combine to create dense, deadly shot strings through any choke. Longer shots, more power, fewer missed birds. Only from Federal. Oh. <laughs> what in the. What am I. What is wrong? So here's the thing. <clears throat> I. My dad watched her for the last or two days ago. She spent the night over at his house. There's and, a problem, yeah. And she's been she hasn't been regular since she's gotten back. Yeah, what's he what 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 was he sneaking to her? This is terrible. A little treat here or there or something, eh? I think a little lot of treats. Table scraps, yeah. Yeah. Lot, yeah. yeah. And he claims he doesn't feed or anything at the table, but I <laughs> this, this is She's been eating rotten even... eggs of sorts. Oh, sorry. Sorry about that, Brandon. That will be the topic for today. Dog farts. How bad do they get? All right, here we go. All right. You can uh, fire away whenever you want. This episode of the Flush Podcast is brought to you by Nutrisource Pet Foods, Waltons, North Dakota Tourism, Federal Ammunition, Aluma Trailers, and by Onyx Hunt. My guest today is Ben Fretz from North Country Sporting Dogs in Alberta, Canada. We'll discuss bird hunting north of the border, Ben's life as a full-time dog trainer and breeder, differences in versatile hunting breeds, summer training to get dogs into hunting form, and finding a work-family hunting balance in life. It's time to start planning your next bird hunt. If you've listened to this podcast for any time at all, then you know where I'm about to send you. That's to North Dakota. Why? Well, it's one of the greatest places on earth to watch a bird dog in the field. That's why. In North Dakota, you can experience a waterfall hunt during the peak of the fall migration and have the best upland hunt all in the same day. I've done it many times. That's why I know it's true. Plus, this year, the spring pheasant crowing counts were up 30% from last year, and the weather has been looking good for a strong hatch. Water levels are up way up, which means the total number of wetlands are up too, 76% above the long-term average, and that means more ducks and geese. The state's breeding duck index was the 23rd highest on record this year, 39% above the long-term average at 3.4 million. All of this means more pheasants than last year, more ducks than last year, and I'm hearing excellent reports about the sharp-tailed grouse and Hungarian partridge too. Start planning your world-class hunt in North Dakota at hellond.com. Welcome to another episode of the Flush Podcast. I am Travis Frank. I am your host. Brandon Morton is our producer, making this show come to you each and every week. Brandon, how many years have we been doing this together now? Three. 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 Yeah. Yes. I'm looking here at my notes, and this is episode 172. I don't know if that's accurate. I think that's, I wouldn't trust myself. I think that's accurate. Is it? That okay. makes sense. Yeah. You know, about 50 a year. Yeah. Something like that. Okay. All right. A um, few things before we get started. How are things with you, Brandon? Things are well. I'm uh, sitting in an enclosed room with you and Daisy and enjoying it. Yeah, you're not. You're lying. <laughs> she just ripped off something insane. Yeah, you know how we athletes, 
Athletes have their smelling salts to get amped up and ready to go. <laughs> yes. We've got Daisy uh, farts. Oh, my goodness. And then she just, like, kind of looks at you. Yeah. And she knows what what just happened there. Well, now she knows we're talking about Yeah, it. she like, sauntered away. She was underneath our table <laughs> and then just sauntered away and left us the business. It's it's, it's thick. <laughs> and it's not it's not good. And I and I and this is not normal because <clears throat> I mentioned this before we started recording, yes. but um, – Unless you were recording earlier, which you'd like to do. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> my dad was watching her for a couple of days and he's like, oh, no, I don't feed her table scraps. But every time he's around, she goes right to him as if there's something that she might pick up from him, you know. Yeah. And we'll just say I'm pretty sure the evidence speaks for itself that she's gotten some table scraps from my dad. That's what grandparents do. Yeah, I guess so. Anyway, uh, a few things before we get our guests into this episode. Um, I have been told that we're sold out for the Hank hunt, so that's exciting. We're looking forward to hunting with all of you. The quail camp down at Prairie Wildlife in West Point, Mississippi will be our uh, Hank hunt for this year. If you still wanted to go, Brandon, here's there's one more chance. Are you ready for this? What is the chance? <laughs> so How? Uh, Pheasants Forever has the last open spot, and they're auctioning off the last open spot to come and join us down in Mississippi this winter on the Hank Hunt. You'll get all the fine uh, wine and dine experience that Five Star Lodge puts on there, plus the bird hunting, Brandon, with me, with Scott. We're both going. Worth the price alone. That, I mean, you can't put a price tag on that. And you're going to be on the Flush Television Show. Absolutely. The bid is happening right now on the Pheasants Forever website. They have a live online auction there's about i don't know eight different items i believe that you can bid on of course we want you to bid on ours but we want you to bid on any of them because all that money is going directly to pheasants forever and quail forever and of course that means it's going back into the ground to make more habitat to create more wild places and wild birds so you'll have to act quickly on that i believe it's only a a one week auction it just went live yesterday so depending on when this show goes out and when you're listening to it it may already be closed head to pheasantsforever.org and check out their online flash auction i believe they call it yeah and it ends july 25th at 8 p.m so just make sure you got that are you looking at it right now yeah it's pheasantsforeverquailforever.uplandfundraising.org that's a big, that's I hard know, to remember. So if you go, go to, to your, forever, yeah, no are you looking at the, what's, what's the bid at right now? Uh, oh my goodness. She, she brought it to me. She brought it to you. Uh, Daisy, to you. right yeah. there next to me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thanks. Appreciate it. So the Hank Hunt is at 6,000 okay. right now as we speak. All right. Well, they should have, they should have purchased the seat when it was open. Wow. It's back. <laughs> she, no, she did it again. Came right next this to me. This is unreal. This is terrible. Yeah. Oh, I, oh, I, 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 this, I'm going to have to like roll away from the board. So sorry if the audio goes weird, everybody. Mm. All right. Um, the show must go on. I don't know if you, if I pass out, you take, pick it up. Right? All right. I'll, I'll do, do what this, I can. I'll do the same this week on the flush television show. You can watch Bill Shirk hunt for rough grouse in the main North woods, a place that I've always wanted to hunt. The episode centers around a family that takes people on moose hunting. Uh, oh, Sorry. <laughs> the family takes people on. It's just, it's not right. 
Do we just let her run around the office? I feel like. You know what I mean? I, that's everybody dangerous else deal too. With the problem? All right. All right. Focus here. Okay. So there's a family up in the in Maine that they guide moose hunters. But there's one week during the season that Maine closes it down during the peak of the rut. So when the moose are the most vulnerable. And this family has made a bird camp out of that week every year. They're in big wall tents up in the woods. It's a very vast, vast woods up there. Pretty cool hunt. Um, I enjoyed watching the episode. I hope that you do as well. Again, on the outdoor channel, the flush is airing one, two, three, four, five days uh, during the week, and we hope that you can DVR it as well. Learn more at theflush.tv or any of our social channels. There we are. I think that's all the housekeeping items for today, Brandon. Let's get to our guests. We have Ben Fretz from North Country Sporting Dogs. Ben, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's nice to come in on the tail end of the dog fart segment i feel like i don't have a whole lot to, to worry about from here on out it's <laughs> do you nice well segue. i would say nice your air is better podcast here so it's good <laughs> i don't know if your air is any better up there you guys in all the wildfires going on up there yeah yeah today it's pretty nice kind of cleared up a little bit but we'll see i'm sure it'll blow back in oh it's it's horrendous down here both the dog farts and the smoke <laughs> we can't get a, we can't take a clean breath of fresh air it's just unbelievable <laughs> ben i'm excited to have you on the show because i finally have somebody with a stronger accent than me <laughs> on the show oh glad i can provide that yes absolutely yeah. where are you located exactly i'm i'm southwest of calgary uh kind of sanderson between calgary and the rockies so i'm it's 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 i don't live in a town i live outside of town but it's right in the foothills of the Alberta Rockies, and I love it. It's gorgeous. Uh, is that where you grew up? No, I actually grew up by the Great Lakes um, in Ontario. Okay. So I was um, just used to the water. Uh, loved it there. It was it was beautiful. Loved the the seasons, and there was you know lots of ducks, woodcock, things like that to chase. Um, but like deer, moose, and bear kind of is where it, it ended. And I always had a bit of a bit of a hankering for more wild places, even though you can stretch your legs pretty good um, in, in Northern Ontario, mm -hmm. but it, you know, it, it's not really the same as the mountains. So my wife and I, uh, with her three kids, we decided uh, a while back, it was time to kind of uproot and try something new and, and have a new adventure. So we, we went out this way. So you just decided to go to Alberta without having, did you have anybody that you knew that lived out there that said, here, come this way? Uh, my brother had actually landed in Calgary with his uh, wife just a little bit earlier. Um, my other brother, he's kind of out in the prairies. He bounces back between Manitoba and Saskatchewan. Um, he's in Manitoba right now. And then my sister and her husband, her husband's from Oregon, and they'd always talked about going back there. Um, we've always been self-employed, so it's it's been kind of or I like to say self-unemployed for myself, but I mean, we, we've been able to kind of bounce around a bit. Um, yeah, it just, it seemed like the right time just with things that were going on in Ontario, um, opportunities for our kids as well as the age, you know, I didn't want to move them when they were too old and really settled into kind of that junior high stage when, you know, friends are really important and kind of starting to turn into little, little adults. So we, we wanted to get ahead of that curve. So it just seemed like the right time to, pull the plug and move on out. So how long have you been over there now? Just about five years. Five years. Okay. Now, were you doing training, dog training before you moved out there? No, before I was working with, um, so 
I've always been self-employed, which means you kind of wear a couple hats. Um, taxidermy was something that I did for a while, really enjoyed it. Um, but knowing that I don't have any sort of pension, um, kind of got me forced, well, forced to get creative. So I started working in the, you know, just real estate, basically buying a house, flipping it, um, fixing things up, working with my hands and enjoying it. Um, and it was flexible, right? It was something that I could always do. So we kind of used to wearing a few different hats. For me, dogs have just always kind of been a part of life. Um, you know, born and raised with dogs. We've always had labs. We had some hounds. We had a bunch of different dogs. And it was just dogs were there for the family and the family, but also for hunting. Um, so, yeah, it was it was kind of a a natural progression that obviously when, you know, I went off and got hitched and I'm getting dogs of my own. And then the kids raised with dogs and my wife, she grew up in a hunting family as well. And they always had bird dogs. So kind of just, a always been around them, always been part of life and, and always been enjoying, you know, hunting with dogs. So you grew up with dogs. Um, obviously you just said that, but at what point <laughs> yeah. did you, did you decide? I think I can teach dogs well enough that I can do this professionally. I think it was a little while back. Um, I mean, I, I really, I think, I think people who, who do it professionally, you know, they just like, like anything else, they, they find something that they're, they're doing and they, they've got a knack for it. Um, and I don't think I would have put, you know, a pin it and said, you know, this is something that I'm going to do in my life. It was just something that I really enjoyed. Um, and then people would come to me and kind of ask for help and we get involved. And frankly, I really, before I, I started doing this, I, I, it kind of started to just happen because I was getting dogs. Um, I, I love training. I love working with the dogs. It's the same reason like when, when I'm out hunting, I mean, if you're going to go for whether it's ducks or coyotes or moose or elk or Turkey, if you're talking with the animal, it's that engagement. Right. And I just like engaging with that animal. And that's why I like photography and things like that. You get to watch the animal move and kind of get a glimpse into what they're thinking. And dogs was just, you know, that dialed up to 11 you get to work with the dog and and watch the dog figure things out catch scent get excited get engaged and then you get to be a part of that so um it was just a passion that i loved and you know as you're growing up and you're doing things people see a dog and they're like oh that's that's a good dog that you have i mean my dog does x y or z and so you just kind of end up helping people out and then people start getting you to train their dogs and you just get i don't know experience that way as the years go on um so i wouldn't have said that you know i, I decided okay i'm gonna turn key and say you know become a, a dog trainer um it kind of turned into i was getting involved with with some of the dogs that i was breeding in because i have uh interest in breeding so getting pups coming in and checking them out and trying them out and going to do some hunt tests and you know folks just asked if I could help out. And so the next thing you know, you just got people coming over all the time and you're helping them out and helping them figure things out. And from there, you, you kind of got to start paying for feed for the birds and time that you're <laughs> putting yeah. in the clock. And it kind of just grew into an actual business. Um, and from there, it's been really fun because before it was kind of just with the intention of helping people prepare their dogs for hunt tests, but inevitably, you know, there's a goal there in mind and there's, there's a deadline but you kind of got to look at the dog and help them unpack, you know, maybe why they're not prepared for that or, or 
what's the holes in their games. And maybe it's nothing to do with their formal training for the field. Maybe it's just about taking a moment and connecting with that dog. Um, so it kind of opened up into just being able to do some behavioral training and, and mm-hmm. just, you know, regular old, I got a dog that I want to have walk loosely and not pull on a leash and, you know, sit when I say sit and come when I say come. And, um, yeah, it, it just was kind of, it grew from there. And so I kind of figured out what I like to do with the dog training and, and I kind of put an emphasis on, um, one-on-one sessions. I mean, I have done some boarding and some classes and it's all good and I enjoy it. Um, but I think where I really find a lot of enjoyment and satisfaction is when somebody shows up with their dog, you know, and they're at that point, you, you've kind of got a, a great window into into the dog and how they're treated and what they know and how they correlate with that family or that, that their owner. And at the same time, you also have somebody who's decided to say they're all in, you know, they, mm-hmm. it, you get a dog dropped off and it's, it's trying to figure out the, the person's expectations and their level of commitment. Um, and then, you know, work with that dog and, and make sure that you can get that dog to a point where they're moving in the right direction and they're happy with it. And, and I feel like each client has been really happy. They've, they've expressed that. So that makes me feel good, but the satisfaction from actually seeing the owner, you know, learn how to read that animal mm-hmm. or read the situation and then be able to walk away and, do it on their own that that makes me really happy it's really cool to see um that growth in somebody else and i'll just use this example last night i'm went for a walk with my kids and cash not my oldest son uh he's our our second oldest he goes dad can i can i take daisy and i said absolutely bud and you know, he's seen how I'm working with her and she's to heal and, you know, walking with us and she's a model citizen usually. And, you know, I was able to explain to him what I'm doing and why. And, you know, she is looking at me because she wants to go right next to me. But I'm like, nope, you're being handled by cash right now. You know, and I told him what she was doing and why. And I told him how to, you know, turn and make her go with him and turn again this way and make her go with him and stop her and I can move but she's not to and he you know he just picked up these things and the smile on his face was just the cutest thing but I just (laughs) oh I loved it and he he spent the whole rest of the night just working with her right on the leash right at heel and everywhere he went she went and she was right there and at first she was out in front and then he understood how to, you know, bring her in. And, you know, George Lyle, my trainer, mentor, uh, mentor of mine, he always say, when you're hooked up, like the two of you are hooked mm-hmm. up in sync, you know, and watching that happen. Well, he got hooked up with Daisy and they were in sync. And it's just such a awesome. cool thing. But also, you know, it's really stressful to have a dog in the house, in the family that is out of control. <laughs> So you're bringing yeah. control to a situation for these families, um, Ben, that I can't imagine how rewarding it is to see that every single day. Is yeah, it, it's great. It's yeah. a lot of fun. I, I, like, I, I also like when people bring their kids out. There's, there's a, a young family that comes out and they've got a small Munsterlander and they've got another small Munsterlander that they just got. Um, and so the, 
the woman, she, she's just been crushing it with that dog and putting in so much time. And so she'll come over and she's, you know, this is what I did. And this is where I'm at. And this is where I'm seeing holes. And, you know, so we pick it up and we go from there. Um, but she'll bring her little daughters out and the, the little munchkin, especially she just, boy, she takes charge and she just, you know, you know, provides leadership for that dog and she's watching mom and she's, you know, right in step with it and it's awesome i love seeing that stuff it's yeah. a ton of fun it's so cool I, my wife is actually going to a, a training seminar here at the end of july there's the method dog training uh, yeah. seminar that i did a couple of shows on oh maybe a month and a half something like that um it's so amazing to to have these these uh, professional dog handlers that are just so knowledgeable I just explain to you what's going on in the dog's head and how to work with a dog and communicate and how to have that, uh, bond, you know? So I don't know that I'm going, but my wife is, and that's what I'm really <laughs> excited great. about because that's it's great. different when somebody else can teach you and explain, you know, like if I were to explain it, it she might, she might learn differently from me, but, Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, and yeah. that's what you provide. <laughs> also, I actually talked to, talked to George Lyle about that seminar. There are three spots available. It's the last weekend in July. And it's in Waconia, Minnesota, right outside the metro area. So if you're interested in that or sending your wife or kids or whoever's listening right now to that, highly recommend it. Three spots as of today. Don't know how much will be left here in the next couple of days. So anyway, uh, continuing with Ben, um, when you bring in, when you bring in, you know, these families like that and you get to see the, the change that they learn, I, I know that's a big deal to you. Um, I know that you provide that personal training. We'll get into that in a minute, but just so people understand a little bit more about what you're currently doing, um, what is the name of your kennel, breeding, training? What it, Just give, me, give us an overview of what you're doing today. Sure. So my kennel is called North Country Sporting Dogs. Um, I breed Hungarian wirehair visas and German wirehair pointers. They're, <clears throat> they're, they're both, you know, bearded, <laughs> whiskery looking dogs, but they're definitely different. I mean, they both share the lineage. Um, uh, the Hungarian wire hairs, they're, they're a younger breed. Um, and I've got a passion for working with them just because I, I love their cooperation. I love their intelligence. Um, and I also like the fact that there's, there's an opportunity to jump into a, a breed when it's relatively young and, and just have the enjoyment of watching that grow and work with that. So the past few years has been a kind of a heavy focus on bringing in dogs from Hungary and just making sure that there's genetic diversity to work with here so I can start to get firsthand experience with the lines um, and just start to formulate a bit of a plan as well as be able to help, you know, just bring genetic diversity to North America. Um, there's other breeders, but it's always nice to be able to, you know, have a deeper gene pool to swim in. Um, the German wire hair pointer just has a, a soft spot, you know, for, you know, I got it. Well, I've got a soft spot for them. I don't know if there's too much soft about those dogs. They're <laughs> bristly and I love them. Um, I hunted over them when I was younger and they just kind of stuck. You know, I just, I, I love, I love how they work. I love their intensity. I love um, the versatility of it. And, it's, you know, when you get into versatile dogs, you get a lot of people kind of, you know, thinking that they, they 
do everything or they, they only do one thing or they don't do anything very well. And there's a whole lot of different notions about it. And I think for me, just understanding it's, I kind of equate it to like the, the German wire hairs are kind of like the, you know, the pickup truck of the hunting dog world. They're not going to get you anywhere real fast or flashy. Um, they can take a bump down the back road and keep going. And if there's a hole in the fender, it doesn't really matter too much. They get you there. Um, it's, it's one of those things where I think it just fits. And when you're picking a dog, um, and you're picking a dog breed, you know, there's just the, the notion of how, how you hunt and what's your lifestyle like, and what are you going to be doing? And for me, I enjoyed a lot of blood tracking and duck hunting and upland and you know, shed hunting and just a general spread of everything. It wasn't like I was pounding big prairie birds and I needed a, a wild running dog or it wasn't like I was just hitting, breaking ice, you know, pulling out ducks. So it, it really fit. Um, it fit my knees, it fit my likes. And so that's why I keep a couple of those guys around and, and I really love them. So what is it? And then... What oh, sorry, you're gonna say? Oh, I was gonna say, what is the main difference between a German wire-haired pointer and a Hungarian wire-haired Vizsla? Well, so physically, we'll start there. The color is more like the Vizsla. Um, they they wanted to maintain that color, but they wanted the coat. Uh, they also wanted the the dense kind of body structure, a bit heavier bone dog than the Vizslas. So they're not as fast running or flashy as the Vizsla. They they move and operate more like a German wire-hair. Um, the, the main differences between the two, I would say, is the Hungarian dogs will a little, little slower to develop. Uh, they stay younger a little longer, whereas the German dogs, they tend to mature a little bit earlier. Um, the other thing is uh, the need for, for pressure. And I don't mean pressure in terms of like, you know, physical pressure or force fetching or anything like that. Just general pressure. Um, the Hungarian dogs are with, with just how they've been bred and the, the hunting style in Europe, um, like for instance, if you were to, if you were to go upland hunting, you know, with, with one of these Hungarian dogs, intuitively they're going to, and this is how they hunt them over there is the dog will go on point. Um, and they're going to give you a lot of eye contact on that. And then as you go to move in the bird, they like the dog to move in with them and then flush and retrieve for them. Um, so the dog flushes it or the human? That's yeah. The dog, the, what will happen is the dog will want to, well, the dog will go in with the person. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the person will tell the dog to flush it and then, you know, they shoot the bird and the dog goes and retrieves it for them. And that's their style of hunting over there. Um, and you can see some of that nature built into that dog and not in terms of the dog wants to follow you up into the bird, but just that intuitive, um, cooperation. They're very aware of you in the field. And I really like that. They don't really hunt for themselves. Um, and of course, these are all generalizations. Sure. Um, they they definitely have a lot more cooperation, I find. Um, and and in terms of intelligence, they, they pick up on things pretty quick. So you don't really have to, you know, put too much pressure on them to get something. So with the, the German dog, sometimes they're just so focused and the prey drive can be so high on something that maybe you need to interrupt them just a bit more to be able to get through and then create that opportunity to get them off of whatever they're thinking about so they can get back to focusing on you. So where do you think in terms the, of, that oh, comes, where do you think that, I'm sorry for interrupting you there, No, no uh, but where did. do you think that comes from with the, the Hungarian wire haired Vizslas? Is that out of the Vizsla that yeah. 
that mentality. I'd say more so, and and just also the the notion and the the goals of of the breeders over there in terms of the style of hunting, right? So, I mean, I think I think it was National Geographic I was watching one time back in the day. It was like they're talking about how three three generations of a dog that it's genetically a different dog at that point, right? Uh-huh. You can create some like a different breed, um, and so they're amazing, right? They're they're so amazing in terms terms of how they adapt and and how quickly they could be manipulated and so that's for better or worse but i think the main reason you see that um is just because the emphasis on what they're breeding for in in hungary um and the goal there is to have a very cooperative dog so it's it's a very different breeding program and and it's been great i mean since i bring them over they have their fci registrations i had the opportunity this year to to run them with some draughts um and just learn that system and I can run that with, with the draughts here. So it's, it's an interesting kind of view into that German system as well and seeing, you know, what, what the, the draughts do and what they're expected to do as opposed to me slumming it with the German wire hairs. And Hmm. it's, it's, yeah, it's nice. It's informative, but I think it definitely goes back to the breeding. If you're an active outdoorsman or woman on the go, then odds are good that you have toys and equipment that you need to haul. Well, our friends at Aluma Trailers, they've got you covered. Their trailers are built by a hardworking team in Bancroft, Iowa, right here in the good old USA. They have models for all of your hauling needs, from ATV and UTV trailers to utility, snowmobile, motorcycle, car trailers, and even fully enclosed trailers like mine. Trust me when I say that Aluma trailers tow gear like a dream. Their trailers are constructed out of lightweight, strong, corrosion-resistant aluminum, and they are 100% maintenance-free. Plus, they come with an industry-best five-year warranty. Visit alumaklm.com to find a trailer that fits your needs. The Onyx Hunt app is one of the most valuable hunting tools that I take into the field every day, and now that app is available in our vehicles. Yep, Onyx did it. They launched Apple CarPlay. That means when you plug your phone into your vehicle, you now have the option to open up the Onyx app right on the dash of your hunting rig. No more holding your phone while driving, which is obviously dangerous, and you get all of the same layers on your vehicle dash that you get on your phone. You can see the aerial view of your location while driving down the road, just like you'd see if you're using your own maps, apps, ways, or Google Maps. Except now you can find out if the properties around you are open to the public, the landowner's name that owns the land. And if you're in North Dakota, you can see if that land is posted without even touching your phone. To use this feature, simply make sure your Onyx app is up to date. And if you're not an iPhone user, don't worry. Onyx is currently working on the same platform for Android phones too. Apple CarPlay, the latest incredible feature from Onyx Hunt. Always know where you stand and now where you drive with Onyx Hunt. So if you're going out hunting right now out on the prairie in Alberta and you had to pick just one of your dogs, which one are you going to pull out of the box? (laughs) It's like asking you which kid are you taking (laughs) hunting. I know that's not. That's a tough question. It's not fair. I'll give you you a bit of a synopsis. I've I've got 11 dogs that are in my kennel. Um, four of them have moved on, two of them will be moving on just as I kind of figure out which lines I'm really enjoying and working with and want to focus on. Um, doesn't mean I ever, you know, like a dog more than the others. Really. I think they just, they, they exhibit things that I want to 
put forward for the breed, right? So if we're just talking pure fun and hunting, I mean, I guess you're going to have to get a little more specific. So in, in Alberta, I'm, I'm spoiled for choice. I can go across the field where I train. Um, I've got Huns and Sharps, and then I cross the creek, and i got Roughs there, and I can go 20 minutes up the road into the mountains, and there's the Duskies and Spruce and more Roughs. Um, or we can just go but 20 minutes the other way and we get those prairie birds. So if we're going for prairie birds, I'm just going to find a dog that wants to stretch out. And right now that would be a young up and coming German wire hair that I've got who she's just a big running dog and she's going to be a big running dog. And I'm not too sure how much she'll get bred, but she's going to be a whole lot of fun to hunt with. Um, if I'm going to the mountains, you know, both breeds will do it. They, they, they hunt, intuitively and like any dog you put them in different environments they they learn that game pretty quick so i don't know that's that's a hard question Krause. Yeah. i don't know if i can give you an honest well answer. you know people all, <laughs> i do get asked fairly often which dog would you get and i was like oh well i mean yeah it totally depends on your situation where are you going hunting what do you what's the habitat like what's the train do you want a dog that's going to get out there and run are you busting cattails for pheasants are you hunting sharp tail grouse on the prairie. I mean, it, you know, it don't, it totally depends on where you live and what you're hunting for. Um, yeah. And also maybe who, who's just getting along with me that day. I mean, maybe I went out there and one dog's just giving me smiles and I think, yeah, I'll take you today. You know? So yeah. it also comes down to what, what dog needs work. Um, I mean, doing the job that I, that I, I'm doing now, I'm pretty fortunate with being able to schedule things. So right now I'm not taking on any more dogs for boarding and it's just, been turned to private lessons and it's been great because I get to focus on my dogs, which I feel like, you know, they've been running and having fun and all the rest, but they're not getting as tuned up as I'd like them to be for the hunting season. So now that's this time now for me. So that's what I get to focus on. And then come hunting season, um, that's it. I, you know, it'll be hundred plus days in the field with those dogs and which dog needs to work on what. So, you know, we pull one out that's maybe, maybe running and hunting for themselves a little too much. And we got to just remember, you know, remind them what's going on. And what's nice about hunting that much is that you're not really out hunting. You are, but you don't have that, that pressure that, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to be back by this time or I got to be done by this date. It's just, if, if it means that the dog doesn't get an opportunity, then we'll try it again. Or if it means that you got to hold the dog up and not kill a bird, you're not going to have to worry about that. And a lot of the time you just go out with a starter pistol anyways. Um, and you're working the dogs and unless that dog really performs well, they're, they're not going to get that bird. So it's, it's a great way to train a dog and work with it. And still have a pile of fun and rack up some days in the field. Yeah. So I wanted to get to this. You, you just touched on several things here, um, that I, I want to talk through with you, but, um, we'll get to the one-on-one -on -one training that you do with people, uh, shortly right now there's a time period that's going to open up in a few days uh, that allows people around the country to start training with their dogs on wild birds in Minnesota. That date is August 1st and I can go out in the field with Daisy and we can run and I bring a training pistol and things like that. And I'm trying to just sharpen her up before we get into hunting season. Um, and I know people do that you know, in the Dakotas, Montana, I mean, they do it all over the country. Um, and you obviously do it as well. You just mentioned it. So when you're getting dogs ready for the upcoming hunting season, what does that look like? Kind of explain that process and what you're trying to do with the dog in a field 
to help them tighten up, get their get their act together before things get real. I think the the big thing is, I mean, I think it's for for any training, whether it's like obedience training just for the house or or for hunt tests or just having a hunting dog. Um, it's getting yourself in the right headspace and it's just patience, right? So, I mean, that starts with the person there and then just understand that you could have goals um, and we're going to work towards it. But at the end of the day, it's just, we're going to try and move forward in whatever we're kind of going for. So if you have an idea of what you're looking for, for that dog, that's important because then you're going to want to try and get that dog into that situation where they can succeed because it's still training. Right. Um, But for me in general, I just, I want a dog that's, you know, I want to get them out there. I want to make sure that they're responding when they're out and, you know, all cylinders are firing and there's scent and maybe we're going to, you know, bump some deer or run into some elk or a moose or who knows what, but you know, how are they going to act with all the distractions? Are they still minding their manners? Are they still being cooperative? Um, and then from there you get to, you get to expose young dogs to, big environments with wild birds and for old dogs that already kind of know the game, it's just knocking the rust off and letting them get back in there and making sure that, you know, if you've got a dog that maybe tests the boundaries a little bit, then you kind of reinforce those. If you've got a dog that maybe just doesn't know anything or is new or just maybe needs a little bit of confidence getting back out there, you give them that opportunity. So you choose the dogs that you're going to run with. Um, I like to do one-on-one training, obviously as much as possible, but then, inevitably they got to learn to run with other dogs. So you got to choose when that dog's ready to maybe run with another dog. Maybe that pup just needs a day on its own. And then next day it'll go run with some other dogs. Um, but the goal is get them out there running, get them, get them confident, get them experiencing a whole lot of, whole lot of what the world has to offer and make sure that they're just still cooperating. Really. That's, that's my big focus because a lot of this stuff you get, you get done in the yard anyways, you know, um, throughout the year you can work on all of your obedience and and cooperating and then if you you know i i keep some pheasants and chuckers and pigeons and ducks and things like that so you can you can facilitate learning experiences for them where you can you can run some drills you can work through things and make sure they understand that and then when you get them out there it's time to just open it up and put it all together and look for the holes and tighten it up into a real situation as opposed to just working drills in the, in the yard kind of thing. Yeah. I, I find, you know, with Daisy, like I ran her this spring in the woods, uh, the woodcock migration coming back and the first bird that she pointed and then it flushed and she kind of took a few steps and then I just, whoa, I brought her to a, yep. just a, a low, it was like a one or a two on the, on the collar and just stopped her and reminded her. Oh yeah. So then after that, she just stood through every flush, every shot. I want awesome. her. I want her completely steady. That will be my goal. August first, you know, when I get her back out on the prairie or out in the fields looking for birds. I anticipate probably that first one. She may or may not come to a. a <laughs> she may want to give chase again, and then it's yep. a reminder that nope, you're not chasing. And she might not. I mean, she's kind of at that point now where she'll stand there. But I do know that by the end of the season, you know, when you're hunting and we're filming and things happen, she can get sloppy. So a lot of guys with veteran dogs, I know they're just like, they're just tightening things back up again right now. Um, But you mentioned your young uh, wire hair, German wire hair that, you know, she's a big ranging dog. Give me an example of what a 
goal might look like when you head out into the field with her, trying to train her and get her ready for this hunting season, just to kind of walk through a scenario. Sure. Well, she's, she's a young pup. Like she's, she's about five months right now. So she's just real, like a little squeaker. So right now, um, I kept two from a litter, uh, her and her sister, her sister is super cooperative. Um, you know, loves a, you, you put a duck in the water. She's after the duck, you throw a bumper in the water. She's after the bumper. You just, you know, you run in the field and she's out looking for birds, but it's all very much, you know, Hey, we're doing this together and we're going to do it, you know, within, 40, 50 yards of each other. And then her sister, uh, really attentive, looks you in the eye, you know, watches, okay, ready to go. And she'll do all of that, but she does it 10 times the distance. You know, she just is gone. Like she's, <laughs> and she gives me some gray hairs because I want to let her run around because I want to see, is she going to come back on her own? Yep. She always does. Um, but for her, a young pup like that, where she can run big, I'm going to just run right now across the road where I'm, I'm fortunate. I've got a, a neighbor who, who rents me some land. And, and so I got about a thousand acres of where I get to go chase uh, the wild birds around out there. And I'm going to let her run around with me and get some bird contact. And I'm going to keep working her back in and making sure she's checking in and making sure that she understands we're doing this together. Cause a lot of the time when I've got dogs that were kind of tuning up for hunting season, um, or dogs that they want to, you know, get for a hunt test. Um, people are so jazzed up, you know, like they're, they're running in when the dog's on point and they're, they're working with that dog and they, they got to make sure they close the distance. And I don't want the dog to really get all amped up like that. I kind of want to bring the whole energy down. The dog's already riled up and just having the best time of its life. I don't need to pump any more excitement into that dog at that time. I kind of just want to make sure we bring it down and the dog can focus on what we're going to try and do together. So a big dog, big running dog like that, let her use those legs, let her get confident as well, but also help her understand we're doing it together, right? So there's just going to be a lot of plain old-fashioned obedience work, nothing flashy that goes on um, before, during, after, and then when we get in the field, it's still going to be implemented there, but she's just going to have to take a bit more time to come on back sometimes. I'm going to have to take a bit more time to get in there. So I find with a big working dog or a big running dog, you just really have to remember patience. Patience is the game. <laughs> I mean, it's especially for a versatile breed like mine, where they tend to range a little bit closer, anyways. Um, and you're used to being able to just kind of reach out and and get to them fairly quickly. So, just cooperation. I want a big running dog to still cooperate when they're out there running. If that's how she, that's if that's her normal, um, I just got to do my normal still and make sure that it works together and that we're still cooperating. Mm-hmm. What about if you run into a dog that? doesn't want to do it together. I mean, that's, that's what we want, but it can be easier said than done. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'd say that happens a lot. I mean, most of the times, like there was, um, there's some, some big running, uh, GSBs and this one, this one male Vigila that I helped out with this year. Um, big running dog, just a, just a race car. Um, gorgeous to look at, man, you could cover ground and, um, then you just demolish a bird. <laughs> it, mm-hmm. was, it was so plow that's, right that's, through them. There yeah, they go. Right through, right yep. through. Just like, you know, not even bring back a feather. It's just poof, you know? So, um, that's, that was the, the first, like when they show up, it's like, all right, let's go out, you know, tell me what, tell me what you want to work on. We get an idea of what we're going on. And then most, okay, let's take that dog out together and let's see what's going on. Um, 
and then from there it's 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 a foundation right it's a foundation of understanding that you have to have cooperation between the handler and the dog and the dog has to understand that it's a game that you play together um and i think a dog that's running hard like that and running through birds or just hunting for themselves it's the foundational hole. It's, it's not the fact that they don't have drive. It's not the fact that they don't point. It's the fact that they just, they, they haven't been provided the leadership to, to follow, you know? And so take some time and work obedience with that dog. And it doesn't sound exciting, but you do it. And then you transition to just a little bit further, you know? So now we're going to put a bird out, but we're going to make sure that I don't care if it's on your leash. I don't care if it's on your check cord, but you're going to be connected with the dog and for me, a big running dog that runs through birds, what I, I tend to do, and it, it works pretty consistently, um, is I let the dog get on point. And then there's just there's just nothing. We let that dog sit there for a moment. That dog's vibrating and shaking. Now it's time to get in, and I want to get our hands on that dog because I want the dog understanding a couple things. Um, let's, I mean, if it's an older dog you're not allowed to just bust. There's some boundaries here and we're going to, you're going to have to respect that yeah. too. Um, I want the dog to be comfortable with the pressure of people around it. And, and then I want that pressure to transition into comfort. You know, I want them to understand that this is a great place. That's where the party's at. Sit there, get in that scent and just breathe it in and come on up to that dog and run your hands over that dog, settle that dog down, get that dog really into the moment. And then, like you said, hook up with that dog, make sure that dog's just connected with you there um, before you go in and, and charge in to, to bust the bird. And honestly, a lot of the time it's just bringing that handler through the process of doing that and helping them understand the patience of the moment. Um, and the dog fixes himself pretty quick. You know, it's, it's a lot of the time just the dog doing what it's been allowed to do. So taking the, the owner or the handler through the process of, of how to handle the dog in the situation mm-hmm. and the dog falls back into line with our expectations typically. Yeah, no, that's, that's great uh, explanation of that too. And I've, I've walked through that same scenario many times where, okay, so, but you've got a bird out there and you have a dog not running wild. You've got the dog on a rope, a lead or whatever it might be. You work the dog into it. And when the dog goes on point, you get your hands on the dog. And then when I did it, I actually had um, some, I held the dog. You can pick up, pick the dog up off their back feet just lightly mm-hmm. so that they can't, they don't have the wheels to go. And they're there to just stand there. Somebody else goes in then and flushes the bird, shoots the bird. You just, everything, you're just calm. You're not saying yeah. anything. You're just holding the dog. Then you give the release the command, whatever it might be for, for me, it's fetch. It's just one word. And Daisy runs up, gets it, brings it back. But just because what I, what I experienced, and I think a lot of other people might experience this too, early on in your training days, you are excited. You want to get birds. Everybody wants to get birds, (laughs) birds, 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 you know, but you get a bird. Now you're like, okay, I'm going to go put it in the grass. Your dog is free, runs up there, grabs the bird and brings it back. And you're like, okay, well, we got prey drive here. Okay. But now your flush, your, your pointer is now thinking that's the game. Yeah. We go catch it, you know, and that's one of the struggles I had. Daisy's a rocket ship. So she, you know, we'd go to these, um, you know, uh, hunt clubs and they'd release birds that were too stupid to fly and she'd catch them. 
And the more times that happens, the more challenges you're going to have. And that's what I learned. And yeah. I have a friend that I was just talking with this weekend about this. And I said, you do not want that at this point in your dog's journey, you don't want that dog to catch another bird. The only time the dog should have the feathers in his mouth at this point is if you shoot the bird. And that dog should not be flushing it. It should only re- be shot if the dog stops, you know, because otherwise you just yeah. are going to perpetuate this over and over. And the frustrations you're going to experience will just continue with you while hunting in the field. So I love the way you describe that, how you brought that dog back. And I went through the exact same thing. So I hope people yeah. kind of can grasp that. How did you I get think it's I think it's common, though. I'm, I mean, sorry, I cut you off there, but I guess yeah. the, the thing I was going to say was, it's pretty it's pretty common like we live in a culture of you know drive through something and get instant gratification right like you get your food instantly like you get you know whatever you order something gets shipped to your house um and then we get these dogs and we've got these goals and dreams that we want to have out in the field um but just you know the the fact of life is that dog needs to grow up and so the best lesson that we learn from dogs every time is patience and so if we just you know, press the pause button and let that dog enjoy the moment. And we, we learn to enjoy slowing down and taking our time to work through it. Um, we make less mistakes because we're not rushing out into the field to get the dog into a situation that the dog can't handle yet. You know, it's like throwing a kid behind a wheel in the truck. They just, you know, sure, maybe they can press the gas pedal, maybe they can steer, but they don't comprehend everything that's going behind the situation there, right? So yeah. we, we build up to that. And that's one of those things about obedience and just having a dog follow you and work with you and want to cooperate with you and then slowly letting them have access to some of these things. Um, I'm not talking about controlling every situation and making sure things are contrived. It just means that when the dog has the ability to, to hang himself, don't do it the first time. <laughs> walk, mm. walk him through and help him teach him those expectations and then let him loose. And, and then you can kind of fix things as you go along there as well. But yeah, patience, right? It's yeah, thing. totally. Well, and I think that's, you know, that scenario, it speaks to the value of wild birds. Most totally. people will just flat out tell you that have excellent dogs. They'll say wild birds make a dog. And not everybody has access to that. I get it. So going to a game farm might be the way or the only way that you have access to train your dog. But yep. some things that can rub off on them are a bird that doesn't fly, you know? Yep. And that is, that's a real thing, you know? Yeah. So these and are, you're going to run into those things. So when you're mm-hmm. preparing for those situations, um, that's where I would say, you know, you work with the dog where you can, you can connect with the dog. If, if your dog's not going to listen to you, you know, on lead, then he's not gonna listen to you off lead. If he's not gonna listen to you on a check cord, he's not gonna listen to you off check cord. So there's a progression of, of helping that dog understand, you know, doing things together and so you use these tools to connect you know leashes check cords e-collars all these different things it's a matter of connecting with the dog and and helping them understand boundaries and yeah when you when you're working with a dog in a release site and a bird doesn't want to fly um inevitably you're going to run into some hard times where the dog's going to be tested but you hope that you put that foundation into the dog where the dog learns to trust you and cooperate with you and work with you that when you run into those situations you know you can correct it it's going to happen um but then you can kind of move on. And if your dog, like you said before, is is hitting it too many times, it's really time to hammer the brakes in that situation and then change the change the path, you know, change the directions so the dog has some success. 
Now is a great time to make the most of all that tasty meat you harvested. Maybe it's time to try a new recipe, sprinkle on a new seasoning, or make your own jerky and sausage. Trust me, it's not that hard to do, and it can be fun for the whole family. It doesn't matter what you harvested or what you want to prepare with it. Walton's has you covered. Walton's has everything but the meat. That's their motto. Waltons.com has everything, and I mean everything you need to process and prepare your meat. Plus, they have an online community called Meatgistics that's full of recipes and meat processing information. The sky's the limit, my friends. You don't have to be a pro to cook like one. Head to Waltons.com today and enjoy meat processing season. Thankfully, it's a season that never ends. A healthy dog is a happy dog, and a dog's optimal health ultimately starts with an optimal diet. That's why I trust Nutrisource Performance Dog Food to keep Daisy healthy and running to her full potential. Nutrisource now has a full circle feeding plan that can help your dog achieve their full potential too. The full circle feeding plan revolves around their entire lineup of Nutrisource dog foods that contain their good for life system. The Nutrisource good for life system is packed with probiotics, prebiotics, and proprietary minerals that work together to support your dog's heart health and gut health. By combining this system and all of their dry foods and wet foods, you can rotate carbs and proteins like chicken, beef, fish, and lamb to meet and exceed your dog's needs and accelerate their natural desire to eat. Plus, their toppers like kombucha add even more health benefits for our dogs. Learn more about Nutrisource dog foods and the benefits of their full circle feeding plans at NutrisourcePetFoods.com. Can you describe at what point in the training process with the dog you feel that they're mature enough to be stopped? And what I mean by that is, you know, early on, you want to build the prey drive. You want a dog that will chase, you know, so a lot of people will say dog goes on point. You go in to flush it. The dog is free to chase the bird knowing that they're not going to catch it, especially a wild one. Then yeah. they come back and you go through it again and you're building that, that prey drive within. But there's a point where you say, all right, we're taking that chase away now. I want you to stand still until I shoot the bird and then you're free to go get it. And depending if you're uh, steady to wing, steady to flush, steady to shot, whatever you choose, um, you know, you're stopping that dog from chasing at that moment. So when do you determine a dog is ready to be able to stand there and your expectations are to stop them and they're to listen where you're not concerned about taking away any prey drive? Well, I guess I'll preface it with everybody trains a dog different and I probably train every dog. I probably train every dog differently um, because each dog has some nuances that are different and hopefully I'm a bit of a different trainer every time I'm training a dog because I'm picking something up and, and growing. Um, but it really, it does depend on the dog, um, on how much that's pressure, right? So how much pressure are you putting on that dog in that, that time? And, and you just got to read that dog. Um, personally, I, I don't let my pups have a whole lot of chase. Um, I, I mean, there's, there's, there's indications of prey drive, um, with intensity, with, you know, their level of curiosity, the boldness that they have coming in on them, um, like on the birds, how, how confident are they away from you? And when they're stretching out and checking things out, um, these are, these are indications of a dog that's, that's got independence and is capable of handling more pressure, um, in those situations. So when you've got a dog that goes on point, instead of just flush and let the dog take off and chase after it, and I'm sure some people will be 
you know, on the other side of the fence with this, this notion. Um, but I like to bring a dog in young, you know, I'm not talking about bird exposure, but I'm talking about let's learn the game now, um, on birds that are there and I'll have multiple birds in the situation. So I try and have, you know, whether it's somebody help me out or a kid, um, like my son kicking a bird around or my, my daughter, I'll, I'll have us, we'll, we'll walk out into a situation where it could be that I've got pigeons planted. It could be that I know that I just watched a covey of Huns land and we're going to go bug those guys for a little bit. Um, it, it could, whatever the situation is, I know there's multiple birds and I know they're going to flush at different times so I can go in and if we're going to contrive, have a contrived situation, say with pigeons um, or quail for pups, I bring the dog in and we'll get that dog in that scent column. And it's huge because there's a bunch of birds there and that dog's loving it. And we're working with that dog and getting it to enjoy that. When the first bird goes um, or flushes or we pop the first trap or kick over a trap or flush a bird, um, I'll, I'll have them on a check cord and I'll kind of let them do like a little circle to watch. But I want them to bring their attention back to that scent column again. You know, because I want I want them to know that there's more birds there still that we're working um, and focus in on working with me. So I let them have their their moment of celebration. But it's 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 going to get shorter and shorter lived each time because we're going to get back to where the party's really at, which is pointing those birds. Um, and I don't know if I mean, I'd be there's there's lots of different schools of thoughts on that. But I mean, my opinion is that I just don't want to have to run that out of them later. You know, I don't want to yeah. have to break a, a dog of chasing birds later and, and put negative force on them later where you have to, you know, heavy e-collar use or lots of shouting or anything like that. I just want the dog to understand we're still working together in the situation. The bird's gone there, but I haven't given you any command. You know, we're still working together. So if we kind of incorporate that as a pup. I feel it just helps build into cooperation as you're moving along. No, I, I think that's, I'm, I'm just li- sitting here listening and I'm, I'm reliving some of the frustrations that I dealt with <laughs> in my dog because I, I didn't get her when she was young enough. And okay. she had these wild running tendencies and wanted to run big. And I, if she wasn't on um, an attached rope to me and she was free to go, I could have the stop sign on the e-collar on the highest setting <laughs> And, she, and she's just doing the jig running away, is she? Oh, yeah. She would be yelping, squealing from the collar yeah. and chasing the bird is till I lost sight of her and then eventually lost GPS signal of her. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, man. You know, and I, you know, it's when I hear you talk and I'm like, oh. That just sounds so easy. <laughs> like, I, that's not how it went for me, you know? Um, and it's not always like that. I mean, yeah. that's why when you're, when you're working young dogs, I mean, there, there were some, some really hard running dogs that I was training in. And the, the issue was the same thing. They come charging in, um, they snap on point, looks gorgeous. By the time you get 10 feet in there, they just can't take it. And they jump on that bird. Um, and, you know, the notion was, oh, well, I'll just, pop pop a bunch of pigeons over them a bunch of times and then they'll kind of get used to it and i just i just i you know there's a time and a place for everything i get that um and maybe this is my fault but i just i felt like there's there's just it's not it's not my my natural approach to it my natural approach would be just like let's just let's just hold down i mean it's like having kids you know 
if they're doing something over and over again, you're not going to just kind of let them do it till they burn themselves out. You're going to at some point have to correct that sure. kid and be like, Hey guys, this is not, this is not how we do things. And, and you sure. know it. Yeah. Um, and so when people will ask me like, well, how can your dogs, like, how, how did you, how did your dog do that? You know, like I, I like to have the kennel doors open and, and kind of the day starts off with, I'll call a dog out. The dog will come over. Um, so I'll call their name to come over. We have a moment, you know, five minutes of just basically just getting pet, just getting loved up. Um, and then I tell them, can they go back? And then I, whichever dog is the most calm, that's the dog that I'm going to call out next. And they come on over and it's, it's, it's an hour of my day. Um, but these dogs need it and they deserve it. And it's a good lesson for them just to remember we're working together here and good things happen when we work together, you know? So when they have people, they're like, how's your dog doing that? It's just about slowing it all down and, and working on that cooperation. And so like when you have pups, big, biggest question I get all the time is when should I get my dog on birds? When should I get my dog, you know, getting used to the water? When should I get my dog used to any of this stuff? And, and there are, there are really good answers for much wiser and much more experienced people than me on, on timing. Um, but I think ultimately it comes down to two very large variables, which is the dog and, and yourself. Um, and you've got so much going on in your life that it's only going to fit your life, how it fits your life. And that dog is developing at the, you know, stage that is nature and nurture all combined together in your life. Um, and a lot of the time, the biggest thing you got to focus on is just cooperation with that dog. Just have a great relationship with that dog. Does the dog listen to you by your side? Great. Then give that dog a little more experience listening to you just 10 feet away and kind of branch out from there. And if the dog understands that life is good when we cooperate, it's it this transition into the field is, is pretty seamless because that's where their instincts really just take over. And a well-bred, a well-bred dog is going to do what they're meant to do. Um, it's just a matter of the obedience that we're hoping they have when they do it. So if you expect dogs instincts to be, you know, everything that we imagine in a finished dog, well, that's our expectations that are wrong. And typically it's that we haven't put the time in to allow, you know, lay the foundation of just obedience and cooperation. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just makes for an easier trip, easier road, less bumps in there, I think. Well, yeah. I mean, if you go back to just think about this, if you're, if everyone that's listening right now, for the most part, likely has a dog some multiple dogs if you are having challenges with your dog listening at home and you expect to go into the field and have a great run on birds like right there just stop yeah you know just stop don't go to the field yet your experience around birds will be frustrating because you're already frustrated with your dog at home like that until and that's the hard part, right? Yeah. Having patience as the owner when you want to get out and have yeah. fun. That's that's the hard part, but it pays it pays off. If you have like just just think about it. If you have frustrations at home with your dog, you're not ready to go out into the field <laughs> with with a great dog relationship. Like it's just not gonna happen. And I can prove that because I've lived through it. My dog she, she had all these habits. She came to my house at six months old and we had to work through a lot at home. And I rushed into the field because I'm like everybody else wanted to get the birds, 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 birds. And it didn't go great. <laughs> I mean, it just did yeah. not. So we had to, we came all the way back to the beginning. Obedience, obedience, obedience. Once things were good at home, then things started to work themselves out in the field. Um, 
who taught you all of this, Ben? Where did you learn all of this? Did you have a mentor that walked you through it that you could learn with? Uh, no, unfortunately not. I don't think, I mean, like I, I, it's, shoot, we live in the world of like any information is available at your fingertips. So yeah. I would say everybody and nobody, um, I've, I've read and watched and, you know, poured over every book, magazine, DVD and download I possibly can just because it's so interesting and it's a passion, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. and that's been since I was a kid rifling through my dad's hunting magazines, getting yelled at cause I'm not putting them back. Right. So it's like, it's, it's been a lifetime of just listen to people who know what they're doing and pick it up and apply it and try it. Um, I'd say the closest thing to an actual experience I had was when we were really young. Um, we had a lab. My dad was just convinced it's going to be the best dog we'd ever had and ever going to have. And we took it to a, a trainer and believe it or not, the guy's last name was Pavlov, which I thought was funny Love after it. what I realized. Yeah. So Pavlov and we, I guess I remember my dad in the parking lot. You know, your name's Pavlov, eh? You know, Pavlov. The guy didn't crack a smile, didn't enjoy it at all. But <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It stuck with me. I thought it was interesting. Yeah. Um, and he trained a lab. And so I'd kind of go and, you know, bug my dad. Like, let's go, let's go watch him train the dog. Let's go watch him train the dog. And, and so it was interesting to watch somebody go out there with a purpose. And before at that age, I mean, I think I was six. Um, it was just, you know, you're watching dad kind of goof around with that dog and sure the dog will go pick up a duck and sure the dog will go bust some grouse. Um, but it was never with the same sort of intensity or purpose. Um, and so that, that kind of struck a chord with me and stuck. And I felt like there's, there's clearly people <laughs> who know what they're doing here and it's worth listening to. So for sure, yeah, I think that lit the fire. Just, just absorb everything that I can. But no, I haven't had the opportunity to really, you know, settle under somebody's tutelage because I think just where we are in stages of life and, and honestly, because it kind of was a natural progression as opposed to uh, a sought after occupation, um, really love where, where life has taken me and where I'm at. And I, I couldn't be more thankful. I feel so blessed to, to be living a life like this. Um, but if I was to be doing it all over again, I would definitely be searching for you know mentors that could take me on and teach me things for sure so i've gone back to a couple of old dvds that i watch again and again to kind of yeah. refresh my memory what are your go-to's that you've stumbled on in all of your research that have really stood out to you that you go back to and recommend for people um you know i, I read all of them over again i like watching them all again um ones that i, I really just enjoy because of common knowledge and I think I tell people to to read or watch or learn um I mean if people are wanting to go to DVDs um the the ones that I would tell people to watch were the perfection kennel ones um and then the new the new uh download um what is it what's was Ron Bohm what's the the Upland Ron Institute Bame. yep the Upland Ron, Institute that's Ron Bame. yeah the Upland Institute um so I watch that because, I mean, if something new comes out, I want to see it and, and see what they're doing and see if there's anything, you know, nuggets in there. Mm -hmm. um, I thought, man, that's a great thing because something that he talked about in there, um, like they talked about in the training that I'm, I'm constantly telling people is the dog's got it. Like a well-bred dog does have this stuff, you know, so so don't stress so much. Don't put the pressure on yourself and, and let yourself kind of just 
enjoy the ride. It's, it should be a fun experience, you know, to train this, the, the dog. But we put timelines on ourselves and pressure on ourselves. So I'd say that's a great one for people to watch if they haven't. Um, and then, oh gosh, there's just like so many old books. I don't know. And magazines. I loved magazines. I found like the best information were probably from magazines purely because, I, you know, it was a soundbite that, that I like or a little visual thing I could just absorb and tuck away and not overwhelm myself by reading through chapters. Um, but yeah, honestly, if I, if I was to slap a sticker of endorsement on anything, I'd say go check out the Upland Institute if you're, if you're getting into dog training, because mm-hmm. he does such a great job of breaking things down. Um, I've heard a lot about, you know, the, the method that you've been talking about, and that sounds great as well. I think if somebody doesn't know how to train a dog, um, first thing to understand is it's not rocket science. Nobody's jumping on a dog and riding it to the moon. Um, and on top of that, the people who are, who are doing it, um, are people who have had a lot of experience with dogs and likely have been in the same spot as they are now, right. With the first dog somewhere. So with the world of information available to us, choose one and understand that it's, it's somebody's flavor. It's somebody's approach and experiences. Um, it may be different. Take it all with a grain of salt. But if you don't know what you're doing, get perspective by looking at what a finished product is supposed to look like. You know, you got a pup and you got a finished bird dog in the end. Um, and how did somebody take it from point A to, you know, all the way down to Z? It's, mm-hmm. it's what's the process there? And if you don't know that, you don't have that available to you um, personally, then a roadmap is so helpful, you know, it's so helpful. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I got to watch George Lyle's dogs in the field and, and I'm like, that's my dream. That's what I want. And then (laughs) we broke it down with everything he did to get there. So for, at that point in time, it was the Huntsmith method that I went back to. So I've watched Rick and Ronnie's DVDs multiple times, still have them. It's the only reason I still have a DVD player in my house (laughs) so I can play them. But yeah, then like the, um, uh, uh, the, the Ron, Ron Bames, the, uh, Upland Institute. Yeah. They use a lot of similarities there too, to the Huntsmith, Rick and Ronnie. I mean, there is a lot of, uh, core training that a lot of trainers around North America use based on that. And then there, like you said, there's all little differences here and there, but, um, you know, I just had confidence knowing that the end result would be good based on what I had seen. So I could trust it because it does take yeah. time, especially, when I jumped into it with, you know, the wrong situation being a dog that was not a puppy at the time, still a puppy, but you know, yeah. not yeah. an eight week old. Not Play-Doh pup. You yes, know? exactly. <laughs> so there's, you know, different challenges that come with that too. Um, I, I want to get into two other things here before we run out of time today. I want to talk about um, finding a family work hunting balance, you know, at this stage yeah. in your life, there's a lot of our listeners are in our stage in life. Uh, kids, career, want to hunt, dogs, you know, life is busy. Yeah. Uh, so I want to touch on that, but I also want to talk about some of just the upland bird hunting opportunities Alberta has to offer. You touched on it a little bit at the beginning of all the different birds, um, but I kind of want to get into a little bit of what your expectations are for hunting this season and what the bird populations are looking like in that area. So which one would you like to tackle first? Which sure, well, I'll jump in the, the first one because it kind of leads into the second, I think. Um, sure. Yeah, balancing family life, no matter what your walk of life, is always uh, or can be a challenge. And it's just like anything else. Um, if you're not intentional about 
implementing your plan to succeed or, or reach goals, you likely won't do it. Um, and there's days that I'm guilty of, you know, getting to the end of the day and it was whether it was, you know, clients' dogs or my dogs or, you know, a bunch of birds that are just needing food or one more thing that just kind of, you know, seemed to be stacked on there. Um, you can always get a little bit impatient or you can always get a little tunnel visioned. Um, but I think the best way to do it is, is to let these kids walk with you through it. You know, I mean, it can be tired, like hard and, and tiring sometimes, and it can also slow things down. And there's also times where kids need to learn boundaries that, sorry, I'm, I'm working and this one requires my full attention right now. Mm-hmm. And that's a good lesson for them to learn as well. But when you can bring your kids along, um, I mean, my kids come over, it's like, yep, yeah, uh, grab the bag of food or grab a shovel. We're cleaning some kennels or grab a dog. We're going for a walk or, and they get to come alongside you. Right. And, and do that. And the more that you just let them live life with you, you hope that you get an opportunity to, to let them experience things that you love and that you appreciate and that you can kind of instill some, <laughs> some, some wisdom and, and point them in the right direction, not screw them up too bad. Um, but that builds into friendships and opportunities to go out and you've built trust with the, your kids. And you know that in a situation that they're, they're going to understand what to do with the dog or they're going to understand what to do with birds or what to do in the situation when you're out hunting or when there's a client there. Um, so you live life with them, right? They're family. So I, I'm, I'm blessed to have an opportunity to be able to put that into practice because I work from my home. Um, so to have them out there and be involved, Yep, there's times where, you know, dad needs to focus, but there's also times where come on in and, and walk with me on this one and learn. Mm-hmm. Um, and it goes back to patience, right? I mean, there's going to be a lot of times where it, they've, they've learned an opportunity, um, maybe at your expense <laughs> or the expense <laughs> right. of your goal, but it pays in later. I, I, I can't imagine, um, I can't imagine trying to just, you know, push it off so that I can just get in something now, because the fact is, they're, they're, they're going to be gone so soon. I mean, I've got, I've got a 14 year old who's going to be 15. I've got a 12 year old who's going to be 13. And then I got the victory lap little lady there who's six going to be seven in February. And she just is a constant reminder to me, look how fast those kids grow. You know, the older two are just, just getting out of reach almost it feels like. And so savor and cherish every opportunity that you can to just live life with them. Right. And then if that life moment is, hey, we're going to change the brakes or we're going to go into a store or we're going to go bird hunting. um, It's an opportunity for you to build into that person. And that's those are either seeds or lessons that are going to be planted forever. Um, So, yeah, bring the kids along as much as you possibly can. And they're going to learn to get along with you as well. And it goes with dogs. If they're not behaving at home, they're probably not going to behave at the field. So (laughs) I'm in at home, you know what I mean? And and then they're getting better in the field. Um, and then so for hunting, um, like I, I love all things outdoors, whether it's hunting, fishing, uh, photography, just scouting and watching. I love it all. And I, I love, you know, upland and big game. Um, I, I just, I love it all. So I get out as much as I possibly can. And I'm again, fortunate enough to get myself into a position where this is, my lifestyle now, um, and my job to train these dogs. So when I'm training the dogs, I'm definitely out scouting for, you know, whether it's elk or sheep or something, I'm going to keep my eyes out. So if you're going to go up and look for ptarmigan, you're going to be looking for sheep. Um, 
if you're going to be looking for some good spots for some some dusky grouse or spruce and roughs, then you're probably going to be looking for elk. And if you're looking for huns and sharps and pheasants, then you're looking for good muley spots. Right. So it's, it's kind of fun that it all works together that way. But in terms of like the upland opportunity that, that Alberta offers, it, it's, it's really amazing. And then again, it's, it's a great opportunity because most of it's pretty, pretty well spread across the, the province. I mean, um, really great hun and sharp numbers, um, for the past couple of years. And this year it looks like it's going to be good again. was really, really happy with the number of duskies that I saw when I was out scooting around earlier on, um, trying to get some pictures of them. And then the roughs and spruces are just like a, a common always seems to be uh, a million of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and the pheasants are the, the, you know, getting into wild pheasants. That's the, that's the one you need to know where you're going and, and, uh, get into those. I think you could get better numbers of wild pheasants, but they're, they're still out there for sure. So what are the locals, if they go upland bird hunting, what do they go after? What's the prize bird up there? Oh, that's, that's a different person's flavor. Some people love going for, for roughs. Some people love going for huns. Some people are just, you know, pheasants and other people are waiting for sharps. Um, really depends on who that person is. I'd say, you know, a big thing that everybody gets excited for is a pheasant, right? I mean, if you got a big rooster pheasant flying up in the air, you have to be crazy not to get excited about that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's pretty common here. Like if you go to North yeah. Dakota, most people would say they go for the pheasant, then a Hungarian partridge and a sharp-tailed grouse would be a bonus. Not everybody feel that way. I love <laughs> Hungarian partridge. Like they just, there's something about the covey rise that I, yeah. oh, in the places yeah. they live, you know, where I feel like when I go West, I think a pheasant would be the bonus if I happen to get one, but I don't, they're not like my target species, which most people are like, what in the world is wrong with you? Um, I guess, you know, pheasant is king, um, but it, you know, depends on where you're at there. That's why I asked. And I, I don't know if the locals, you know, some, some places it's quail and uh, that's kind of like the, the thing that everybody goes after and they don't care about a rough grouse or a dusky, something like that. Yep. So you're saying it's pretty pretty widespread depending on it is yeah. location and i think there. it's also because you got a good good run of of things to hunt like i mean the upland opportunities are wonderful and so are the big game so um you know there's there's great opportunity for for whitetail and mule deer and moose and elk and and bear and sheep and i i mean it's it's a great it's a really great place to live if you if you like being outdoors and like like wild places and, and chasing wild critters even if you're just going to go watch them um so I think it's the fact that people are kind of spoiled for choice probably limits the answer there. But yeah, people love chasing pheasants. Um, I personally, I, I like where the sharps live. I think it's beautiful country. Um, and I like the duskies. I, I like getting up there. I like seeing those big birds. I like being up in the high country. Um, ptarmigan, those are ones that we're definitely going to chase. Uh, the goal this year is to chase each species and hopefully get some, you know, pictures or video or something to be able to share with it as well um but i just want to get the dogs in different environments and try some different things out and i, I love the the variety of it well it keeps it pretty interesting that's awesome and bird numbers are looking strong coming into this season for you guys yeah they're looking pretty good i mean the last year was really good and this year so far seems to be going the same way uh we did have a little bit of a heavy rain there that kind of came out of nowhere when it was a bit of a drought before that so 
we'll see how that kind of impacts things. Um, but it didn't last too long, so I don't think too many birds got too much of a chill there. Are you so. saying the when they were chicks or during yeah. the hatch? Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, that that's a big factor. A lot of people don't think about everything looks good. Land looks good. Habitat looks good. But one rain at the wrong time can really knock down numbers. So hopefully that is not the case for you. I'm pretty excited. Actually, one of my first hunts this season will be in Alberta and I've not really? hunted on the prairie in Alberta yet. But, um, you know, I've hunted a lot of the West already. Um, I should say not a lot by space standards. I've barely touched it. But I just, I love the prairie. I love yeah. the opportunities out there. And I'm really excited to see what Alberta has in store. I just, I just have visions of prairie that goes farther than I could see. <laughs> and, and my <laughs> it dog does. Yeah, on point absolutely. Yeah. again yeah. and again. And I cannot what are you focus wait. on chasing for. Um, I, we're going to focus on Hungarian partridge and nice. sharp tail grouse, I think was going to be our main target, but I'm I'm kind of one of those hunters that I see an opportunity. I'm so curious about what is on the other side of that hill or what could yep. be in those trees yep. that I say, let's go for a walk up there. I just want to see what I can yeah, find. Yeah, well, give me a shout if you have some extra time. I'm always up for kicking around and looking around the corner. And there's lots of good places to look around, that's for sure. Oh, man, I can't wait. Well, I appreciate you giving that's us some fun. of your time today. If people want to learn more about you on social media, it is North Country Sporting Dogs. Is that correct? Okay. And your website is northcountrysportingdogs.com. Yep. And that's it. you provide boarding, training, and breeding. And obviously, if people listen to this conversation, they understand that there's a patience about you and knowledge that um, I think would serve people very, very well. So hopefully they reach out and Thank get you. in touch with you if they have any needs up in your neck of the woods. Thanks so much. Appreciate it, Travis. Appreciate yep. you having me on here. Well, we'll Great. do it again, Ben. Thanks for making time. Awesome. That's Ben Fretz, and we will be back next week with another episode of the Flush Podcast.